from Capital Public Radio in Sacramento. This is Insight. I'm Beth Ruiak. NPR's special coverage of the impeachment trial of President Trump begins today, immediately after Insight. You will hear gavel-to-gavel coverage throughout the day on Cap Radio and for as long as the proceedings continue. Major U.S. stories are making headlines around the world right now. Of course, the death of retired NBA superstar Kobe Bryant, his 13-year-old daughter, and seven more people who all died in a helicopter crash yesterday. There's the controversy surrounding an interview that NPR's Mary Louise Kelly did last week with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. There's the ongoing impeachment trial and the presidential campaign. So let's get right to Ken Rudin, the political junkie. He joins us from Washington, D.C. And Ken, we are barely into 2020, and yet the news this month has been one page of history after another. I was going to say, how about every day? Every day something new is historic and perhaps even troubling. So in the impeachment trial, an excerpt from John Bolton's unpublished book that apparently had been sent to the White House for review is now being looked at as a bombshell in the case. Will you explain this today? Well, basically, uh, Bolton, the former national security advisor, said that Trump told him that the president wanted to continue freezing uh, security assistance to Ukraine until that, that country came up with bogus uh, investigations involving Joe Biden and his son Hunter Biden, who who worked for, uh, who worked for uh, a Ukrainian uh, energy company back when Biden was vice president. But 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 the thing what what makes this so much of a bombshell so shocking or so interesting is that Bolton is giving firsthand information. Everybody else is saying, well, they weren't on the phone call. They didn't know what really happened. And the people most loyal to the president, people like Mike Pompeo and uh, others like that, the, secre- the acting chief of staff, they're not testifying. Bolton is willing to testify. And he puts a new, it puts a whole new question mark on the impeachment trial. So the point is here that he's naming names. He's talking about Giuliani's efforts. He is saying that the White House chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, was present for one of Trump's calls. The next question then is, what happens? And did the Democrats at this point ask the chief justice to issue a subpoena, to call a witness? There, there could be precedent and new history that's never happened in an impeachment trial before. Well, I can't see anybody going, anybody, certainly the Democrats going to the Chief Justice, uh, John Roberts, to issue a subpoena. Basically, the way the rules are laid out in this impeachment trial is that uh, it would go before the Senate. The Senate would vote to whether or not to issue a subpoena. Now, of course, the president is saying that Bolton should not be able to testify. He has secrets that should not be revealed. Uh, this is national security. And it will be up to the Senate now, because of the, because of the de- Republican majority in the Senate, four, Republican, four Republicans would have to vote with the Democrats to issue a subpoena for, for, um, for Bolton to testify. And that's really the whole thing. If Bolton t- doesn't testify, if the, Republican, if the four Republicans don't, don't come forward, the trial could be over by the end of this week. It could be over. You know, the, the senators have their question. Boom, it's over. And then there'll be just a vote on whether to convict the president or not, which, of course, takes a two-thirds vote and nobody thinks will happen. But... If if there are four Republicans who come forward and say, yes, we want to do, we want to hear witnesses, we want to hear from John Bolton, 
this trial could go on into February, which means, of course, uh, Iowa, the State of the Union address, uh, address and, uh, and upcoming primaries. Before we leave the topic of this book, I, I think it's interesting to say that this unpublished manuscript went to the White House for review. It was not given, as I'm reading accounts this morning, to any other news outlets. No one had it. So does it seem to you that the leak happened from within the White House? Well, for all we know, it could have, the leak could have come from uh, Bolton himself. I'm not in the business of speculating how the New York Times got it. But the fact is that there are not a few Republicans who want Bolton to testify, who feel that if you want to know the facts about it, if you don't want to sweep this under the rug, if you want to have a, a truly fair trial, you do want to hear from Bolton. And even if even if you support the president, you still want to know what happened. You don't want to, you don't want to just hide all the facts and hide all the witnesses that who could bring forth testimony that could make this uh, bring bring up more questions. If you want the truth, why would you not want Bolton to testify? So it could come from anyone, any amount of people. Certainly, people who maybe even be working for the president, but who wants the truth to come out? That does take us a bit into the president's defense, and we heard for a few hours on Saturday from his team. What seems to be the the most important point of their argument to you? Well, basically, I mean, they're saying, look, uh, the president did nothing wrong. And even, even if he did something wrong, although they're not conceding that, even if he did something wrong, it's certainly not impeachable offense. Uh, he said they say that the Democrats want to overturn the last election. Uh, they say uh, one of the lines were uh, they want you to tear up all the ballots, meaning, uh, you know, uh, the, the American people, everything they voted for in 2016 uh, will be, get thrown out because of uh, because of this impeachment trial. Now, for the record, Hillary Clinton did get nearly three million more votes than Donald Trump. But that's not really the issue. The issue is, of course, that they, they say that the Democrats want to overturn the results of the election, which Donald Trump did win. And again, he did nothing wrong. But if he did, it's not impeachable. So right now, polls across the country on how this is happening remain divided. And you wrote about this in your newsletter, Ken, that at different times in history, more Americans have joined together for a bigger majority. And the fact that there is this tear in in people's support or belief, what's this doing to us in the time of a presidential election? Well, nothing is good. I mean, of course, what, what Trump is alleged to have done is not good either. And you can go far beyond Ukraine. You can go, I have a whole litany of things he's alleged to have done and definitely has said and tweeted about since January of 2017. But the fact is, it's coming just months before a presidential election. Uh, unlike the Nixon and, and, and Clinton impeachments, they were already re-elected presidents in their second term. Nixon, of course, resigned before mm-hmm. there was an impeachment vote in the House. And Clinton was impeached in the House, but was acquitted in the Senate. But um, but but on both things, look, on the Clinton, the, the Nixon impeachment, the country seemed to be clearly behind it. I think the feeling with the Clinton impeachment, the feeling was that what Bill Clinton did was indeed despicable, but not impeachable. And with Trump, even though I think Adam Schiff laid out a very convincing argument about what the president did, very meticulous, very methodical, half the country says, well, it's not impeachable and let's let's wait for the election. So the country is split. And so that coming along with an election that's going to be, you know, it's going to be ugly and divisive. Uh, it's not going to be a fun next 11, 10, 11 months. That's for sure. 
John Bolton's book is titled The Room Where It Happened. It's scheduled for publication on March 17th. If the White House allows it to be published, you know they're going to try to block it. Exactly. I'm talking with Ken Rudin, the political junkie. Senators who are running for president were able to leave Washington, D.C. Saturday because of just the few hours of opening statement. They are getting on to Iowa. Iowa is so interesting, Ken. A poll shows Joe Biden on top. Another poll shows Bernie Sanders on top. And polls show all the other top runners clustered right around the top. This one's unpredictable, isn't it? Well, it is unpredictable. I mean, my favorite uh, as far as unpredictability, of course, happened in 2004, when for the most part, Howard Dean and Richard Gephardt led all the way. But because they fought so much, it allowed third and fourth place finishers, John Kerry and John Edwards, to come up and finish first and second at the last moment. And so we'll see what happens right now. You know, I know that Elizabeth Warren was endorsed by the Des Moines Register as well as the New York Times. Uh, Amy Klobuchar was also half endorsed by the New York Times. But, you know, I've made jokes. People say, who do you think is going to win? And I always say things like, you know, Marianne Williamson, because it's so unpredictable. But there does seem to be Bernie Sanders momentum. I mean, I know that Biden is winning in one of the one of the polls. I don't know if his supporters are as con- con- uh, committed and as enthusiastic about him as they are about Bernie Sanders. He could very well win this. He almost won this against Hillary Clinton in 2016. He barely lost. He has more supporters than ever. It's a much more split field. And if Amy Klobuchar and, and Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg and other so-called centrist or moderates split the liberal vote, and if Elizabeth Warren is fading, as some polls indicate, Bernie Sanders could win this. And of course, that frightens not only, well, it frightens uh, Democratic centrists, especially like Michael Bloomberg, who's already spent $241 million on post-New Hampshire and Iowa states. But uh, the Democratic Party may be split going into the convention. But you know something? That's what happened with the Republicans in 2016. So much of the Republican establishment said, please don't give us Donald Trump. He's going to get clobbered. There's a lot of Democratic establishment folks who will say, please don't give us Bernie Sanders. And we'll see if they're right or not. But right now, he does seem to have some momentum. Iowa is February 3rd. By the way, President Trump is scheduled to give his State of the Union speech February 4th, if that date holds. There's so much emphasis on Iowa and so much speculation, but after February 3rd, we get into this nonstop season of states, primaries, and caucuses. And March 3rd, just a month later, is California's on a big Super Tuesday. And we have a bit of news about you and our Super Tuesday California primary. I was going to let and that you do is, this. <laughs> I'm coming out to Sacramento. The details of your visit, Ken, are still taking shape. We are glad that we will have you joining us in person in the Insight Studio for our coverage a couple days out here in Sacramento. And, of course, we'll be covering the other results across the country. So it's always great to have you here uh, doing the real thing, sitting across the table from each other. Well, I'm thrilled for that. Let me just say one thing about the State of the Union, though. You said if it happens, it will happen. Remember, in 1999, Bill Clinton was still, the impeachment trial was still going on in the Senate. 
Bill Clinton did give his State of the Union in late January, and of course, he didn't even mention the word impeachment, not a word, and yet, you know, and it was everybody was saying, well, we know what everybody's thinking, but he didn't mention, he talked about the economy, things like that. And also with Richard Nixon, I think of him, even though he wasn't impeached, he was about to be impeached, but in January of 1974, when he gave his State of the Union speech, he said, one year of Watergate is enough, and everybody applauded. But of course, he was out of a job in about seven or eight months. But this is going to be a fascinating State of the Union to watch on February 4th. Ken, before we go, I, I do want to bring up this controversy surrounding the interview by NPR's Mary Louise Kelly, who I assume you know from your years at oh, yes. NPR, oh, yes. and the Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and then the the stories that followed afterward, the accusations, even the president has jumped in questioning why NPR exists. Can I hear your take <laughs> on all this? I've known Mary Louise Kelly since the day she joined NPR. She is a smart, serious reporter. She is not a partisan. She does her homework. She has a reputation of being an excellent, excellent reporter. Having said that, and she asked serious questions about the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, why he didn't defend Marie Yovanovitch, who was a U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, who was forced out on fake conspiracy charges led by Trump and abetted by Rudy Giuliani. And after the uh, after the thing was over, uh, Pompeo apparently went ballistic, says, nobody in America cares about Ukraine. You are a liar. You set me up. Um, it was it was cruel. Um, she accused her of, of all these things. It was so, I don't know if shocking is the right word, but also disturbing is the right word. Even Fox News uh, talked about it the other day when they, when they said, to uh, Mike Pompeo, don't be such a baby, don't be such a bully. The fact is, is that he lost it, Mike Pompeo lost it, and again, I have no connection to NPR now at all, and I have, I don't have any loyalty or, or any personal relationship to NPR, but if I had to, if you had to ask me, whom do I believe in this, is no question that what the account given by Mary Louise Kelly is, in my view, exactly what happened, and Mike Pompeo got caught in, in a bullying moment. We'll post a link to some of the background on this story, but um, Ken, I, I appreciate your perspective, and I look forward to continuing the conversation in person in early March for the California primary, and no one can really predict what will happen between now and then, so thanks for the ongoing conversation. Oh, I can't wait. Super Tuesday is going to be huge, as they say. We might have a nominee by then, or it might go straight through to the convention. Can't wait. Okay, say, I'll see you in Sacramento. I'll see you in Sacramento. That's exactly right. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. Ken Rudin is the political junkie. Up next, author and historian Julia Flynn Seiler as we begin conversations today on Chinese history in California. Her award-winning book from 2019 is titled The White Devil's Daughters, The Women Who Fought Slavery in San Francisco's Chinatown. You're listening to Insight on your NPR station, Cap Radio. Cap Radio.